Laodicea. So, uh, I'm very grateful for next week. We're not there yet, but I'm very grateful. Because this morning, I feel like the absent-minded professor. I came in like four minutes before the service. I didn't have my microphone, so I had to run in and get that on. And then I came in and I realized I didn't have my reading glasses, you know, so I didn't have that. But next week, next week we get to fall back and get an extra hour of sleep. So hopefully, Pastor Nathan will be a little bit more on the ball. But uh, I'm grateful. So I'm, I'm giving thanks, Kelly. There we go. So grateful for that. So, uh, you know, in Christian circles, we often have kind of cliches about how we need to live life. And here's one of them that we throw out there that in some ways has a, its appropriate application. In other ways, it could be abused or even misused. And here it comes. You ready? Let go and what? Let God. Let go and let God. And it has its appropriate uh, application. There are times when you have done everything you can, say in a job application or, you know, going to a, a, you know, a doctor's appointment, what have you, and there's nothing that you can do. It's like, Lord, here you go. Here you go. You, you're in charge of the outcome here. It sometimes has to do with relationships, you know. The Apostle Paul in uh, Romans 12, 18 says, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. So when you've done everything you can, maybe to be reconciled with somebody, to mend that hurt, even when maybe they were the offender and they're still not coming your way, you have to let go and let God be at work there. You have to turn that over to Him. And then ultimately, I think we all know this. In our salvation, there's nothing that you can do to merit God's favor. He has done it all. All you can do is agree with the fact that you need a Savior for your sin, to ask His forgiveness, and ask Him to come and do in you what you cannot do. Lord Jesus, come into my life and change me. Make me your follower, your disciple. You have to let go and let God. On the other hand, let me say this. Following Jesus Christ is not a passive faith. It's not a passive faith. There are some times where God really calls us to action. And sometimes I think when, when we talk about, well, it's God's doing it all, we have something in our lives we want God to just zap us and change, Right? Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a besetting sin that we want him to change and we're just praying, Lord, take it away. But we're not doing anything to flee from that. Sometimes it's a trial. It's a trial. We're saying, God, take me out of the valley of the shadow of death. And God says, no, I will not, but I will be with you through the shadow, valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes there's a challenge where God has put before us a mountain, it seems like. And we're saying, God, move that mountain. He says, no, but I'll help you climb it. I'll be with you. I'll help you take action within the midst of that. So today, 
we're going to be looking at that. And again, we don't look to our flesh for that. We look to God to do it in us, but we have to move towards Him. So today, we're kind of in part three of kind of this thought of whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we're going to be in chapter 2 of Philippians if you want to open your Bibles there. But thus far, we have seen Paul calling God's people in Philippi, a place where God's people are under a little pressure because they're in a Roman colony, a place where people are saying Caesar is Lord and they know that Jesus is Lord. And so he's calling them to stand united for Christ, for the gospel. He's calling them to treat one another in a manner that reflects the gospel. That is to be other-centered because when you're being self-seeking, it is a plague. It is it's something that destroys the unity in the body. And because our Lord Jesus himself was selfless, he becomes our example. As he, as last week we looked at how he was in very nature God, but he emptied himself, took on the nature of a slave, put on flesh, was obedient, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So we saw his descent to really serve us and rescue us. But God the Father vindicates him. Where he exalts him and he gives him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. On the earth and under the earth. In heaven on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is a, a phrase. What's happening there is what we call a doxology. And I'm not looking to to insult anyone's intelligence. And if you know what that means, that's awesome. But I think it's one of those church words we throw around. It, it comes from two Greek words. Dogza, which means glory, and logos, which means word. So these are glory words to God. That's what's happening there. And that's what Paul breaks into. But what we see here is that there's a continued... Um, call to put our faith into action, to have an active faith. And this is where we pick things up. So we're at verse 12 here now in chapter 2. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into these words uh, from the Apostle Paul that God has for us. So Lord God, first of all, we, we say thank you. We can say thank you. Because you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us from ourselves, to rescue us from 
a destructive and lifeless life on this side of heaven. And you've come, Lord Jesus, to give us life in yourself, to change us and transform us and make us trophies of your grace and to use us for your good purposes. And even if life is hard, we can say thank you for that. And may you gain glory through us for that. But as we look in your word today, Lord, we want to respond to this. We want to respond to these words that are giving us instruction how to live. So give us ears to hear. Give us grace to respond. And help us to say yes to you. And Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So here's what I want to say as we kind of start out this journey through these six verses. I'd like to not advise you to let go and let God, but I want to say, let's go and let God. Let's go and let God. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The obedience that Paul is calling these beloved people, and they are beloved to him, they are, they are dear to Paul, is to continue in the faith of following Christ, of making the gospel known as, as they are in partnership. Again, as he's already suggested, they would stand united for the gospel without fear, because God has got them and he's going to save them, and that they would have each other's interests not their own interests, because it's been modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I think Paul's saying is, keep it up. Keep doing this. Keep at it. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, those of us who've been in you know, evangelical biblical circles, we have an antenna goes up. Work out your salvation? That just seems contra to the gospel. Because the gospel comes through the grace that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is right. And that is not what Paul is saying. And we'll see that as how Paul balances out because he, he says, um, for it is God who works in you and will act in order to fulfill his own good purposes. And we'll talk about that here in a second. This is kind of the second half of the coin. And we also know it because of just other, other scriptures, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. It's all what Jesus has done, not what we have done. But rather, this is how, what Paul's talking about, how saved people live out their salvation. How they live out their salvation. And I guess some, some theologians would call this sanctification. Becoming in practice, practical life, what you already are in position in Christ Jesus. And here's the other thing, too. As I talked about, we kind of have the whole let go, let God. God relates to us as volitional beings. He asks us to take steps of faith toward Him when He calls us to do things. Abraham, go to a land I will show you. He didn't ask you, how do you feel about that, Abraham? He said, go. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 through uh, 20, Moses says, look, I put before you 
life and death. Bless in curse. Now choose life. Move towards God in obedience. And, and then in the New Testament, James saying, faith without works is dead. And we know that on a pragmatic level. If there's no steps of obedience toward what God has commanded, perhaps our faith is not fully developed. Perhaps it's just merely theory. We need to move forward in faith. So let's go! But on the other side, let God. Because he says in verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. There is a cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit in you as he works in his word, as he prompts you to obey. And let me hear, let me say this clearly. We cannot obey in our flesh. We cannot do it in our flesh. We can't. But the living God, the Holy Spirit prompts us and we move towards him. We have to be partnered with him. You know, Jesus, uh, many of us have read this passage over and over again in John 15, 5. And he's talking about the relationship of, of what, how we partner with him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's that connection with Jesus. We can't do anything apart from him. Yet, there is a connection between abiding or remaining in Christ and obeying. Because later on in that same chapter, John 15, verses 9 through 11, he says, As the Father has loved me, and so have I loved you. Now remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. By the way, I'm telling you these things so that you can have joy. That's a similar theme that's running through Philippians, that we might have joy. But let's face it, practically, there's that moment in all of us, right? Where we know that God is calling us to do something, and it is totally contrary to our flesh. It is totally contrary to what we want to do in our own fleshly nature. Maybe it's love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When's the last time when somebody did something really jerky to you, you decided, you know what? My response is not going to be to go home and complain about this on Facebook, but it's going to be to pray for this person. To love them through praying for them. Or don't look after your own interests, but also the interests of others. And maybe inside sometimes we're saying, but, but that person doesn't deserve that. Then you're right. You're probably right. But in the economy of grace in the gospel, neither do you or I. We don't deserve being thought of. 
I'm going to just tell you real quickly about one of the things I, I've wrestled with in this last few years. Someone hurt someone very close to me in a criminal manner. And I'll tell you, I wanted to take vengeance. In my flesh, I wanted to take vengeance. And as I'm praying to the Lord and I'm praying, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm saying, Lord, what do I do with that? And he said, start praying for that person. Start praying that they would come to know me. To put their faith in me. To find forgiveness in me. To find life in me. And you know what? I don't have contact with this person. I don't know where this person is. But I keep praying for that. But the, the blessing of that whole thing is, and I pray that that person does come to know Christ and is set free from their sin. But in doing that, it set me free. Because it's taken out of my heart the blade of vengeance. It set me free from bitterness. I didn't feel like praying that. But I knew... I needed to forgive that person. I needed to move towards God so He could do a work in me. And that's what we're talking about here. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. He is the one who's at work in us. And He is the one who's working us in salvation and sanctification. A verse we posted here on our wall, but I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of, and something to give thanks for, Kelly, is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you are in Christ, He wants to actively continue to do His work in you. We need to step towards Him. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's an interesting phrase too, isn't it? To work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. Actually in the Greek it starts out saying, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? Because doesn't perfect love cast out fear? Well, it means that as we're seeking to live the Christian life, to work out our faith, it's not haphazard. It's not careless. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make, you know, I don't want us to walk on eggshells, but, you know, in this life, God has given us the, the privilege of making choices. But those choices get to matter. And they get to matter in this life, and sometimes they get to matter into eternity. So we have to come to grips with that. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You see, there's a, there's a vertical aspect. What we do in this life, we're going to have to account for 
account for before a holy God. And as we stand before Him, some of the things we've done are going to remain. Those things done for His kingdom, they're going to be like, they're going to have a lasting value, like gold and precious stones. Other things are not going to last. They're going to be like wood, hay, and stumble, stubble, as 1 Corinthians 3.12 talks about. So we're going to we're gonna have to stand before a holy God with how we spent our life. There's also a horizontal aspect, too. Our actions, how we live, are being watched by a, a watching world. Whether we know it or not. Whether we know that or not. And some of those things can be used for good. And I hope that that's how we're going about it, with, with fear and trembling. That I want people to see Christ. Other things are not so good. See, here's what Paul's getting at. He knows that these beloved brothers and sisters in Philippi are on display before that, that town, before those people. What do they see? What do they see? And so let's pick it up in verse 14. He says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. In a crude way, he's saying, let's shine and not whine. Let's shine and not whine. And I'm going to start with the last clause, starting at the beginning of Verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. What is that word of life? It's the good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel. Of whom they are partners. Of whom they are commanded to conduct themselves in a worthy manner. And there's an aspect of shining that forth. Shining that gospel, that good news. To share that with other people. Why would we want to hold on to that? And in light of that, some trans, older translations have, have translated this phrase as you hold out, not hold on, but hold out the word of life. So as we hold on to or we hold out, what do people see? We who are Christians. We who are Christ followers. What do they see? Do they see Christ and his character or something else? And here's where Paul throws out the negative command. Are you a grumbler? Are you a murmurer? Is what that word means. Someone who always feels like it's their duty to point out the negative aspect of what's going on. To express your displeasure or find fault when things don't meet your expectations. At work, are you pointing out how the boss isn't doing things right or how things are being run inefficiently? At the restaurant, are you always complaining how they didn't get their order right? In church, are you <laughs> complaining about how things are organized? And even with God, are you complaining about what he's allowed into your life and who he's allowed to be in leadership of his church? 
If you look at Numbers 14 through 16, you find out that God isn't real fond of murmurers, of complainers, of grumblers. Are you an arguer? Are you a person that's always right? Are you a person that always has to have the last word? Are you always arguing that things are not fair? And how things should be done differently, should be done your way, because that was the right way. Are you hard to lead? Are you at best passive-aggressive when someone's leading you? And folks, look, I'm not advocating just going along to get along. There's sometimes we have to take a stand and say, this is not right. But oftentimes, it's just our preferences. It's just how we'd like to see things done. When I was 19, I went on tour with Continental Singers, and I memorized this verse. Because I was in a bus with 38 other people for 10 weeks. 10 weeks. I could complain about that person always taking that seat. I could complain about the fact that I said to sleep with some guy who was sprawling on the bed and snoring at night. I could complain about, you know, all, all sorts of things that maybe weren't going our way. But that's what we signed up for. To go on the road to proclaim the message of the gospel in song. And I memorized this verse because I knew there are times when things would be tough. And I was in charge. I was the person who was in charge of making sure the bus was loaded and locked every night. They gave me the keys to the bus. said, Nathan, this is your responsibility. And when someone was dragging their tail, I had a choice to grumble and complain or to say, okay, I need to be patient And I need to remember that this is a privilege to do this. You know, one of the ways that we get away from grumbling and complaining is actually being thankful. And let me just put this plug in for what's going to happen on November 21st. We have, if you've not been here, informing you guys, uh, we have an annual Thanksgiving service. And you are the sermon. You get to be thankful for what God has been doing in your life this year. Either corporately or individually, but it is one of the most blessed times we have together. And it's so encouraging. So, please, even if you're not a public speaker, consider it. Consider how you might want to share. But it helps being thankful in your heart, counting your blessings, if you will, it keeps away that attitude of being, being a whiner, complainer. Because don't we see it all around us, all the time? I mean, you go on the internet, that's what 90% of the, the content is. But, you know, if that's what's happening in God's people, it's a poor reflection on Christ. When we're more interested in winning an argument than winning people to Christ, it is unattractive. And Paul's saying, be different. Be different. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky.
Don't whine. Shine. And you say, Pastor, that's difficult for me. I have the gift of seeing those things. (laughs) That might be so. And I'm not saying, don't ever bring that out. But I'm saying, don't make that how you operate all the time. And it might be a time for you to pray. God, change my heart. Make me less critical and make me more thankful. Let people see in you and me that we're different. That we're interested in loving people more than getting our agenda taken care of. That we're interested when we're at work, not in complaining how the boss does things, but doing our best job without complaining. And when we're treated unfairly, we're quicker to go to the Lord than we are to HR. You know, actually, people can see Christ in you most evidently when they know you're being treated unfairly. It's an opportunity to shine. I wonder what happened as the Philippian church who was being opposed, oppressed, were called to shine Jesus rather than complain and to argue. What do people in Rochester see coming from the people of Breen Community Church? Are we pure and blameless children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation and shining like stars because of Jesus? It's really hard to do that when you're a grumbler and complainer. But God, I mean, well, Paul through the Lord Jesus, has confidence that the Philippians will be doing this. That they will reflect well the word of life. And so in verse 16, second half, he says this, And then I will be able to boast on, on the day of, of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's be spent. Let's be spent for the right kingdom. Let's be reminded that Paul is writing this letter as he has been unjustly imprisoned. Because he made some people angry and fearful with the leadership in Jerusalem. And now as he waits with the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen, he's wondering if he's going to be identified again as somebody who is a threat or an enemy by Nero. He doesn't know what's going to happen. From a human standpoint, we'd say, that's not right. That's unjust. But Paul views it differently. Because he has Christ as his center. He knows that he's in chains for Christ's sake. And he can rejoice because the gospel is spreading. Either whether it's insincerity or pretense. And he can rejoice that he can be spent for such a cause. You see, again, looking at the second half of verse 16, if the Philippians are keeping his instructions when Jesus returns, he'll be able to boast, 
Not in himself, but in Christ. The investment he made in the Philippians, and that it wasn't in vain. It wasn't time wasted. Look at the fruit at what God is doing in a people being oppressed for Jesus' name, for the gospel's sake. That's what's worth being spent for. What, you know, here's the truth, folks. You and I, every day, our lives are being spent. Time, money, energy. What will be the return eternally for the investment you're making in life, the investments you're making in life. This last Thursday, I had the privilege of being here for the graduation ceremony of Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge. And if you want to be encouraged, I'd encourage you to be here at 3 o'clock on the last Thursday. Well, that's actually going to be the, the Thursday before the holidays coming in November and, and December. But it's super encouraging. And one of the graduates, I got to talk with him afterward. His name was Nick. And Nick, before he came to Christ, was all about stuff, making money and stuff. And he was getting ready to graduate. And as he was getting ready to graduate, he sensed that God was calling him maybe to go investigate, at least for a little season, you know, what it is to advance the kingdom of God in ministry. And I don't know if God's calling Nick into full-time ministry. But he said the, the battle was between the fact that he is a pipe fitter. You know what a pipe fitter makes an hour? It's like $90 to $100 an hour. And he was going, man, I was thinking about how I want to get my, my family back on their feet and all this great stuff we could buy. But I knew Jesus was calling me to this. And I knew that that is what's going to last not the pipes that I'm going to fit together in life or the money I'm going to make. He says, I'm, I'm willing to be spent for that. In verse 17, Paul says he's willing to be spent for the, the sake of Christ in the Philippians. Verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And this is coming from the drink offering imagery that we find in the, in the Old Testament Numbers 28.7 if you're interested. Also, it was pretty common in pagan rituals to have a kind of a drink offering or, or libation. Now, here's the question. When he's saying, I'm being poured out, is, is Paul thinking he's going to his death? Mm, we don't know. I mean, he uses similar language in his, his famous last letter in 2 Timothy 4.6. But he also said earlier in the, in the, in the passage, in the letter in 125, that he says, I, I think I'm going to continue on for your sake. I think Paul's just saying, you know, no matter what happens, in imprisonment or in death, I am willing to be spent. It's worth it. Because what God is doing in you, what he is, you know, in our partnership with the gospel, and also the gospel spreading in the house of Caesar. And, and remember, he said earlier, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's worth it. And to live for Christ himself, who we said earlier was the very nature of God, took on the nature of a slave, became a man, obedient, obedient to death on the cross, but is exalted and his name 
is above every name. And all will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's worth working out your salvation. The hard effort that you have to put into that, moving towards it, knowing that God is at work in you so that you can shine like stars. You can rejoice and be spent, be poured out. I don't know if you ever pay attention to internet news, but here's one article I caught this week. The GOAT in NFL football, NFL, NFL. Tom Brady, he's pressing on to try and get his seventh Super Bowl championship. He's doing what it takes. He sleeps in like some cryo pajamas and stuff like that. He's got his room. You know, I don't think his wife sleeps with him in that moment. But, you know, he's, 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 well past his prime, according to common, common wisdom. And he's pursuing this. But he's also noted that this has caused conflict between him and his wife, between him and his family, because this is what he's pursuing. This is what he's willing to be spent on. He's watching tape. He's getting in ice buckets. He's doing all the stuff. And his relationship with his wife and his kids seemed to be languishing. And look, it's not my place to judge, but I wonder if in 10 years he'll have the same value. Because those trophies will eventually rust. And I'm just holding that out to say, what are you and I investing in? What are we willing to be spent for? What are we willing to be spent on? Is it wealth and stuff? Is it career and achievement? Is it sports and entertainment? Is it bucket list experiences? Is is it even just, you know, trying to give your kids the greatest activities, the greatest childhood of all? Will those things last? How about Christ and His kingdom? Are you willing to be spent for that kingdom? Are you willing to be spent for Christ and His kingdom? And here's the truth, people. The only things that are going to last beyond this life are God, His Word, and His people. Everything else will rust. What are you willing to be spent on? Jesus would say in Luke 9, 23-24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. The Apostle Paul saying to the Philippians and saying to us, I am willing to be spent for the cause of Christ, for the cause of His kingdom, for you even, your faith, because it's worth it. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so in verse 18, he says, I I rejoice with you. And he turns around, so he says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice that Paul is willing to be spent for his kingdom because it's going to last. So on this 
short set of verses. Our Christian faith is not a passive one. There is an aspect of let's go, and also let God. There's an aspect where we need to shine and not whine. And there's an aspect that we need to be willing to be spent. Because actually in losing our lives, we actually find it. In the life that our Lord Jesus gives us. So may these words impact us and affect how we live today, tomorrow, and until Jesus comes. Let me pray and have the worship team come and close us. Lord Jesus, there's no doubt that these are challenging words for us. But we want to be your people. We want to cooperate with your Holy Spirit and step towards you in obedience even when we don't feel like it. And then see you at work in us. Indeed, we are your workmanship. So continue to do in us what we can't do ourselves. Lord, make us thankful rather than critical and shine for you. And Lord, would you give us grace also to see the value of your kingdom and willing to be spent for that. Lord Jesus, you're worth worshiping and we will do so both now and forevermore. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.